0: Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Mining Your Business podcast, a show all about process mining, data science, and advanced business analytics. I am, yet again, Patrick, and with me, as always, my colleague Jakub. Hi there. Hey, Patrick. Today's episode is all about how you can royally screw up a process mining project, who is to blame, and how to do things differently. All that is coming up next.
1: Sometimes, no matter how well you plan the project, it becomes a disaster. We are here to tell you what parts of the project can and will go wrong, what to do about it and how to prevent them in the first place. Luckily, we will have, most, uh, we will have here our most experienced colleague, the Senior Delivery Manager, Nicolas Miller. Nico, welcome to the show. We are very excited to have you here.
2: Thanks, Jakub. Happy to be here.
1: Nico uh, has been with our company for so long that uh, whenever we have some issue uh, and we don't know how to solve it, we usually just say, go ask Nico. Uh, but before we go into the screw-ups and into the core of our episode, uh, Nico, why don't you uh, tell us a bit about yourself? We we recently did an episode about the uh, key people in the Process Mining Initiative, and uh the, the delivery manager wasn't on the list, <laughs> so what is it that you do and uh, uh, how did you even end up in the process mining?
2: Uh, maybe I'll start with how I ended up here. Um, actually, well, Solonis was a startup coming out of uh, TU Munich. And um, I had a friend who was working there early on, tried to convince me that um, process mining and Solonis itself is a nice idea. In the beginning, I was a little bit skeptical. I thought, okay, in any case, I can work with the data. Why would I need to buy a software for that? But um, after some convincing, I actually thought, okay, it might make sense to get people not familiar with the data and not familiar with programming languages together with uh, process visualizations and data analytics. So I joined Solonis back then, still as a student. And in the end, um, well, Decided I still like working with data better than I like working with software. Um, and well, followed our founders here to a Process End. Started out as a data scientist. And what do I do now? It's not so much the technical stuff um, that sadly is mostly gone now. I'm more helping organize stuff, line up projects, um, try to be in the important meetings. And if problems pop up, um, help people solve them. So, pretty much taking care of everything and
0: nothing. Oh, wow. So you've been in this, in this space for, for quite some time then. Um, so before we get into all the things that can go wrong and the things where it can steer off the the, the path, I kind of wanted to ask how you measure the success of, uh, of what you do. I think for us as, as a
2: company, it's pretty easy. I mean, if the customer is happy, we are happy. That's how we stay in business. But what makes the customer happy that's i think the more difficult
0: question so um what customer is easier to please
2: honestly the easiest approach for me is if a customer has a specific set of goals like he knows he has problems he knows what he wants to change he knows uh, what he needs to do and also has a time plan like um best example is when we go four or five years back Process mining was still pretty new. People didn't have any experience and they saw these great visualizations. Um, you see a process from end to end, you see mm-hmm. all deviations, you can see where the loops are, where manual changes are, and people just expected it to be magic. So you That's actually. Interesting. Yep. Sorry, sorry, Nico, go on. <laughs> so uh, they had this idea that, okay, they know they have something that is not great with their process, and just by looking at it, everything becomes better. But, um, well, they didn't understand, first of all, that you first need data um, to even visualize it. That was the first big thing. The next thing is just by seeing something doesn't change it. You haven't understood it. You don't know what to do with it. And even once you understand it, nothing has happened. You just have nice, pretty pictures and um, spend a lot of money.
1: Uh, did the expectation somehow change over those years? So you mentioned that, uh, let's say, four or five years ago, they had this expectation that uh, you do process mining, you have this magic box that's just going to give you, here are the bottlenecks, you should improve this and that. Uh, while today, I assume that the new onboarding customers are a bit more educated, or is it the case as well?
2: I think, I mean, we still have the cases um, where you have customers that have, Not really a great idea of uh, what they need to put into to get some results. But I think in general, what has changed is the attitude of um, salespeople. So they are not over-promising as much as uh, they did a couple of years ago. Also because um, I think uh, software companies are looking for different profiles to at least have some technical understanding.
1: I already can see a couple of themes going on here with what uh how where we will even lean into that uh, later on uh but before we go into the screw ups and into the things that can go wrong uh is there also some way on how you can quantify the let's say that you are doing an implementation uh Patrick already asked a similar question but uh we always like numbers and since in process mining we are always coming up with the KPIs can we also have some KPI that we could like, uh, put a number on the
2: project well done? From a technical perspective, I think it's easy. You, have, um, you agree on a scope in the beginning. Ideally, you have the same expectations as the customer, or at least you make it clear what do we want to do within this project. And that's something you can deliver. And maybe you fight about smaller things um, where you say, okay, we didn't agree on that exactly. But the general line of what you should deliver technically should be very clear. Okay. Measuring success of, let's say, process mining implementation in general, like how much improvement did I get? You can use KPIs, which I think is the best way. So mm-hmm. you say you have a problem, you try to quantify it in whatever way, and then you see how has it changed um, in the next year. Mm-hmm. Still kind of dirty because you don't know if all the changes happening um, because of process mining. But I think it's uh, the best you can do, actually.
0: Do you think there is a big difference between quantitative results in these or qualitative results? So when you put an X amount on savings, but you have the qualitative aspect where you get more of an understanding of your processes and you can analyze things, these aren't really like measurable in terms of X value. Do you think those are less valuable or more valuable?
2: For me, it's uh, honestly the qualitative impact that is more important. But I also understand our customers, if they say they hire one or two extra persons to process money exclusively, then I need to tell to their bosses somehow that uh, they saved uh, this and that amount of money. And it's very hard to do with qualitative results. But I think the majority of savings will come in the end from that if you have clean processes you avoid a lot of problems that um, are costing you money in the end even if it's hard to put an exact number on it
1: okay uh then let's actually get into the screw-ups because that's going to be in the interesting part and uh, nico we are all ears when it comes to some stories (laughs) and real life examples i think uh, our listeners are also keen on hearing those Uh, so essentially we can split it into the two major categories. So we have these uh, hard factors and soft factors. Uh, Since you came up with this uh, separation, maybe you can already (laughs) introduce us into that.
2: (laughs) I mean, the hard factors are normally the easy part of uh, a project because it's just a problem you need to solve. Um, It's very hard to do process mining, like I mentioned, without having data. Um, So somehow we need to get a software in place, we need to get the data from the source systems, into actually our software and of course we need to hope that the data is even there
1: okay yeah so you say the data needs to be there and uh, i can assume that this is usually not just uh, <clears throat> you go to the customer uh click a few buttons and connect instantly and everything works uh smoothly for the rest of the days uh so uh yeah elaborate a bit on more a uh, bit more on this actually
2: so normally when we start a project we start talking to people that are actually interested in their processes and they are not the same people that are managing the IT. So what we tell them, okay, we need uh, a server, a connection, some network access. Actually, not very big things, and it doesn't take a lot of effort. Hmm. But uh, it's not the same people that are interested in the project that need to do those steps. And as a general rule of thumb, the bigger the corporation is, the higher the requirements are for how is it supposed to be exactly. Um, in the end, I mean, Jakob, you had a customer last year where I think uh, we were fighting for two months about how should we connect. And then we decided on a very custom way that took another one or two months to set up. In the end, it still works, but it takes a lot of time. And um, it's normally not the expectation to spend half a year in a setup phase. So that's already a bad start for a project for us.
0: Um, Do you think that this is because the people that you mentioned, the people that work in IT, are not involved in the project and couldn't really care about them? That makes them reluctant to set this up? Or is it more of an actual infrastructure, like getting the server set up and connecting all the wires? Like, What is the bottleneck here?
2: Well, I mean, sometimes people are unwilling and blocking, but I think that's not usually the case. Normally, it's just that IT has a lot of work and they have different priorities than your projects um for example we had a electricity provider i think one and a, yeah one and a half years ago or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, the moment that we actually kicked off the project and wanted to start that this um VAT changes in germany because of corona so all the IT was basically doing for two months was trying to figure out um, how to get the VAT changes into their system because it also stops at some point and yet some special cases that were very hard to cover. So it wasn't that they were unwilling, they had just different priorities because um, they had more important problems to figure out than starting a new initiative. And I think that's the case uh, quite often, maybe not as extreme, but they have other work to do. And unless you somehow get them to prioritize it, um, well, it will be hard to get it done quickly.
0: So this is very much a, a capacity issue in your in your opinion.
2: Yeah, like um, if we're looking at smaller customers, uh, a couple of Swiss ones, um, where I remember it took, I think, half a day in total to organize everything, to agree, and then the actual setup we did together in one hour. So it can be very quick, (laughs) but uh, sadly, that's not the normal case. That
1: sounds a bit surreal to me uh, because I don't have (laughs) an experience where it would take less than two months, actually. So (laughs) I guess I'm the lucky one. Uh, Nico, how can we even, so you when you are aware of these things coming into the project, since you we have the experience with it, uh, how can you even prevent it happening in the first place?
2: We try to put a lot of buffer in there. We try to warn people that it might not be much work, but it usually takes a lot of time. Um, some people don't take us seriously. And I think that's probably partly our fault if we don't manage to communicate it appropriately. Um, but otherwise there's honestly not that much we can do except for plan for these things um, or if we are really lucky and we have some way of putting pressure on IT or direct contacts that can make it easier but that's uh, more the exception than the rule
0: um, Can I ask now when this thing happens so the setup is delayed by, by several months um, what is the impact of that? For, I mean for us as a, as a business and also for the client like what does it do for them?
2: For us, the impact for the project itself is not that bad. We're just starting our work later, which makes our planning quite difficult because um, we also need to work on something and have uh, multiple projects So it's not great, but it's not horrible. For our customers, uh, it depends. So. If you're really unlucky, you have a kickoff workshop where you agree, promise everybody, okay, in general, in three, four months, you're going to see the first things. Um, You're going to be able to work with Salonis and then tackle your problems. Um, And suddenly it's half a year later. Maybe if you're unlucky, you're in holiday season or even in best case, everybody is still there. Um, Nobody changed positions. Nobody left the company. But still, they probably forgot pretty much all about what uh, you discussed. They don't know what you agreed on as goals anymore and uh, are definitely less enthusiastic because something that was promised to them as an easy solution that was relatively quick, um, suddenly is half a year preparation time before they even get to do anything.
1: Somehow I have a feeling like you are referring to all my projects. (laughs) Not sure whether that's intentional or not, but uh, I completely agree with you. And uh, the biggest issue I usually had with this is that uh, since the people are waiting for so long and the expectations are kind of building up, then you really feel this uh, obligation towards them that you really have to deliver a good job. Because if they're already, let's say, a little annoyed or disappointed by the time it takes, then you are coming into a whole different scenario than if as you said, the implement the, or the setup of the infrastructure takes altogether a day. So different situation, and then you really have to, to over-deliver to even make them happy. <laughs> uh, so uh, let's say that we handle this infrastructure. Uh, th- that's not it. Then what the, the, the next step are, are the data, or is the data that we work with. Uh, what can go wrong with the data?
2: I think it's not so much things that go wrong, it's more what data exists if we're looking at a purchase-to-pay process um, with one big customer a couple of years ago that was very interested in how they are actually um, giving contracts to suppliers. So this whole negotiation process. And uh, in general, I don't think it would have been complicated except for the fact that they are tracking everything in Excel. Oh, God. So... Um, yeah you have an Excel sheet where you can see like which contractors or which contracts you have to which suppliers, what were their quotes and then you have uh, somewhere PDF files with the actual quotes. And for us uh, it's a process that's impossible to analyze or at least not with a justifiable amount of effort um, because it's simply not IT based. We don't have any real data points. Uh, if we have data points it's more like handwritten notes. So it's uh, not something um, well where you can actually do a data um, analytics project because they are simply lacking maturity for their processes. I mean, 30, 40 years would have been the same for every kind of process. Now it's luckily more for the smaller side processes. The main ones are usually IT covered, uh, but it still happens from time to time. It doesn't need to be a complete process. It can also just be approval steps where they say, okay, Um, if I'm buying something for 50,000 euros, I need to call my boss and get permission. If we don't have the data, it will be very hard for us to check.
0: Um, So this client that just had a bunch of Excel files and PDFs, did they expect you to work the process magic and just whip up a process for them? Or what was their expectation? I think they
2: never actually thought about it. So they had the approach that, okay, process mining in general works. We can see timestamps. They were aware of what the output can be, but they didn't have any understanding of what they needed to put in, what they needed to provide, and what we need to work with. So they were not IT people, which is, I mean, fine. Most people aren't, but um, they are just thinking output-based and not um, what do I actually need. This is something that we are stressing now very much in... uh, Every kickoff meeting that we do, what do we need to uh, be able to actually deliver something to only be able to work? And we even bring up examples like this one. Like if you go to your colleague um, next door to ask some questions, it will not be a data point in your process, which sounds obvious to everybody working in the industry. But if you never give it a thought, then um, you might not realize it.
0: So is that the way to prevent kind of these knowledge gaps in in these people mentioning these things early on is to kind of uh, pump the brakes on people that don't really know uh, what this will look like in the back end
2: i think it's the solution but it's also very difficult um you probably know it yourself like if we get a new colleague here um you know a lot of things that are self-evident to you mm-hmm. and they have no idea and when they do something you ask yourself how can this happen? I mean, this is completely obvious. But if you think about it, then uh, it's not their fault, it's more your fault, because you just assume people know exactly the same thing as you do. Right.
1: So it's just about keep repeating uh, the mistakes you've made and telling other people and just to keep educating them. Also, that's probably the most important part to do in the workshops where you can already alert the people and make sure that they are aware of things that can go wrong. So definitely a good to prepare at this uh, at the very beginning. Uh, Nico, before we jump into the soft factors, uh, do you have some some uh, story maybe from these uh, hard factor things? So the, from the IT perspective, data perspective, that maybe caused a lot of overhead efforts or maybe even uh, was a, uh, a showstopper at some point? that you can think of right now?
2: Mm, I think um, there's a lot of smaller topics like the one I mentioned before. There was Mm -hmm. one other big customer that um, actually is distributed worldwide, so um, has shares in a lot of companies, a lot of IT systems um, spread out, and they are actually very diverse. So. For them, it was important to get the legacy systems in there, which is some stuff they built in the, I think, 70s or 80s. Oh. Actually, not very complicated, but uh, there's, well, they were still doing half their business in those uh, legacy systems. And for them, not covering them would have meant um, that they're blind on half the company. So simply wasn't acceptable. And um, they, first of all, had no idea how to get the data out of the systems. That was uh, one issue. And uh, then they had no idea how to get the data into Solonis.
1: (laughs) Well, Excel files, obviously.
2: (laughs) Kind of. In the end, we had uh, CSV transfers. So they are extracting simple files with lines of text every day, putting them on a server. And we wrote a tool to uh, actually get that into a database and work with it in the end. Mm. But uh, the whole process took ages. Um, wasn't really fun and was not something that anybody expected, and um, also not something that um, we could have been aware of before. Before, because mm-hmm. first of all, we didn't even know the legacy systems existed. Uh, we got in with the information that okay, we need to anal- analyze the P two P process in SAP. Mm. And by the way, there's one or two systems that you also need to kind of take into account, but not half the company is missing in SAP. <laughs> And uh, then, of course, as it was a self-built solution, we don't have any experience um, where we can say, OK, you need to do this and that. But we are relying on people that um, actually built this, which meant uh, in this case, I think it was the head of sales in the end that 20, 30 years helped develop that system that supported us and uh, helped us figure out how to get the data, how to interpret it. but. Um, he was already back then in the 60s. And if we had come 10 years later, I don't think we would have had anybody to talk to. Oh,
0: wow. Well. <laughs> you said it took ages, like from from the start of the project to when you actually were able to f- actually work with the data. How long did that take? So for SAP
2: data, I mean, it was back in 2017. Uh, it was still much more complicated than it is today, less standardized. So I think we had the first um, data in after six or eight weeks, but that was just SAP, and um, to actually get the flat files out and into Solonis for the legacy systems, four and a half, five months. And the whole project was actually planned to finish, uh, I think, within two after the first um, data came in. So our customer was pretty confident that they could get us the remaining data after the first um, SAP extract within a couple of weeks. We said, okay, it's fine. We parallelize our work. In the end, we were pretty much done with everything before we even got the legacy systems. Um, and then it's even more work to integrate something new into an already existing solution than build it up from scratch. So yeah, it wasn't fun. In the end, they're actually quite happy with it. and Now it's a useful tool because they can see their legacy systems compared to SAP. They're slowly migrating everything because they also recognize that they are Issues, at least with, uh, for example, maintenance, if the last people develop, who developed it go into uh, retirement. Um, so it's definitely worth something in the end, but it took a lot longer than expected.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think, um, so for to me, um, because Solonis is a um, licensed software, right? So you have to pay every year. Um, I would assume that these delays cause some sort of um, cost-benefit analysis in some people's minds. Um, in your recollection, do you remember any time when somebody just said, well, we're pulling the plug. This is not worth it. We're not going to get done on time. We've had three months of actual analysis. This is not worth it.
2: This is actually, I think, the interesting part with uh, software. Like, If you're a neutral person, then coming in at that moment when you see all the problems, maybe you would uh, pull the plug and say, okay, we're not doing this anymore. We're done. Um, but... I don't think this has happened so far to us. And in my opinion, it's mostly because the people that invested the money first. So they spent half a year on a license, let's say. They spend a lot of money on consulting. And I think it's very hard to, for them to go to their um, company and say, okay, this was a bad idea. Let's uh, pull the plug and let's not do it. So the money they're spending is actually protecting the project itself. But also, of course, means in the end, you need more savings, um, that they're actually happy about it.
1: Yeah, it's a classic investing problem. Uh, nobody wants to cut the losses and just move on and just rather go with the sinking ship. <laughs> no, it's not really a sinking ship, but you, you probably <laughs> get the point. Uh, so moving on to the uh, soft factors and to the people, really. Uh, a lot, as I can hear from what you're saying, a lot can already be prevented at the early phase before we even... Um, before even the implementation starts and uh, you said that the salespeople usually used to uh, build up the expectation very high. It improved. Uh, but uh, just like recapturing uh, all those points, can the salespeople already do something differently in order to prevent these these uh, unwanted uh, situations?
2: Sure. I mean, they could actually just paint a realistic picture of uh, what they... Can get out of Salonis, the customers in the end, how much effort uh, does it take, how much um, effort actually comparable projects took, and they could even bring customers uh, together with one another. So it would be very easy to be realistic, and I think the cost benefit would still be fine. But to be fair, it's not their job. So, I mean, it's our job in the end to build it, and um, you can't expect, uh, well, neutral and objective opinion from a salesperson. If you're buying a car, <laughs> they're also not going to tell you, okay, this is actually uh, <laughs> tends to break down after two years or 100,000 kilometers. But they'll rather tell you, look how shiny it is.
0: True. So um, you, we what you're saying is that the salespeople have these uh, sometimes, you could say, outrageous claims what these uh, software can do for a client. And then it, they get funneled to, to us and then we have to kind of um, actually convert these outrageous claims that the salesperson actually sold to this customer, right?
2: To say it's outrageous, I think is a bit harsh. Like, I know a lot of salespeople that are, of course, positive in the way they talk uh, about Solonis and maybe a bit too positive. But I don't think that uh, there's a lot of salespeople that are really lying. But uh, of course, you can't expect them to point to all the problems that might happen and tell people, watch out there, this might be an issue. But uh, yeah, then in the end, it's our job once we uh, start our projects to make sure that the expectations from the customer are in line with reality.
1: Okay. So that we are not only uh, throwing some shade on other people. Let's talk also about us. Uh, I mean, we are responsible for a lot of screw ups ourselves. I can totally imagine, even though we try to do our best work, we are still people and we do mistakes. Uh, Can you, I'm just interested. What is the, what can you, can you remember a mistake uh, that you did last? So if you're looking back into uh, last couple of weeks or months, Uh, What kind of mistake did you do that maybe caused some problems uh, down the line in the project?
2: I think the last couple of weeks is too early to tell. (laughs) On my first project uh, that I ever did, um, we actually uh, did something we always do. Uh, We talked about what do we want to achieve in the project, what should we realize. And um, instead of actually focusing on what we should deliver and what we could deliver and Is it actually justified? Is it worth the effort? We pretty much asked our customers, uh, what do you want? And Mm -hmm. of course, we get a very long list. And uh, in the end, pretty much everything is possible, but it's going to take you a lot of time. They're not going to be able to work on their worst pain points early on because it takes you ages to deliver. So Mm -hmm. instead of a say, standard scope, where we know we can cover it in one or two months. We had a huge list of topic that they wanted to cover. I think 30, 40, something like that. And um, to be honest, I don't think that uh, they have looked at probably 20, 25 out of those within the first year after we implemented. It's, they already had a lot of data to analyze. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, if you don't push the customer in the right direction, if you avoid having that discussion, we can't do everything right now. um, That's a problem. And this was one we had early on. Right now, I think we're much better at it, but it's still a tendency in people to avoid having unpleasant conversation. So if there is a problem or if you say you can't have everything you dreamed of, that's something that I think everybody likes to do rather later than sooner. So, we need to push ourselves every time and getting better at it, but we're not perfect of course
0: I mean this is definitely um an interesting point. We have actually also mentioned this in one of our podcast episodes the The key steps to being good at this sort of thing is like always deliver what you've promised and the promise what only what you can deliver um is one of the key things um so uh in in your mind is there an so when when you talked about this, is there anything that was um Undoable in their list of uh, demands or wants, needs?
2: In this case, um, there was one item that would have taken way too much work, which we didn't recognize back then. Um, Don't want to get too much into specifics, but Mm -hmm. it was just technically very complicated. For the rest of the topics, they were all fine. I mean, most things are technically doable, just the sheer volume of it. Is very hard, first of all, for us. Um, We invested a lot of time afterwards to more or less deliver what we uh, discussed. So basically, work for free for a lot of days. Um, And for them, it gets even worse because they get a new software and then they need to suddenly um, figure out how to work with 3040 analytics. Right.
1: Interesting uh I'm also thinking about so a lot of work that we do is basically in the trenches, meaning that we uh, do a lot of coding, do a lot of uh, data setup, and these are a lot of obviously experience and uh, experience based things. The more you do it, the more confident you do it. Is there maybe something that uh, since you worked with a lot of uh, beginners or let's say uh, people who were fresh in our company, you basically was their their guidance on their path to become a data scientist? Is there something from technical perspective that uh, most of us uh, are usually doing wrong and uh, you are that person who already did that and you know how to do it better? Something that you could highlight for
2: us? No, nah, I think that's not a generic technical problem. I think it's a problem that when you have a problem, you try to figure it out. You are on your way and um, you are then... well just trying to figure out and go along the path. So you go start one way, then um, you're pushing through, you hit another problem, you try to fix your solution and you try to fix it again. And in the end, maybe you have a very simple problem. And just because you started off the wrong way, you try to keep going. Uh, You have a horrible solution in the end that ideally doesn't work because then you're forced to reconsider Mm -hmm. and maybe find an easier way. But uh, if you're actually unlucky, then it works. It returns you the results that it should. And half a year later, you have a colleague coming to the project, looking at it and having absolutely no idea what you did there um, and is pretty much afraid to touch it.
0: Is this um, a big thing with the newbies? Do you think there needs to be some oversight so that they don't approach these problems from the wrong angle? And since they arrived at the right solution, that this is their, their way forward and they kind of take that strategy on with every other problem that they might face?
2: I think it's more something that we need to change our attitude. So Not our first idea is going to be the best one and be ready to just say, okay, I'm not moving forward. Maybe I need help from our customer. Maybe I need help from a colleague. And maybe I just had a very bad idea and I need to abandon it. Uh, But that's also not very human. And I think... uh, the next problem is we are very diverse in our company in the sense um, that um, the educational backgrounds of people are very different. So I studied math myself and um, we like clean, elegant solutions, but on paper. And while programming is not complicated, there's nobody that teaches you the value of clean code in mathematics. Uh, same in business. Um, not sure how engineering is. So you can always see the differences in style when you have somebody that um, was taught four or five years, Mm -hmm. work cleanly, comment your code, and somebody else needs to work with it in the future. Compared to uh, somebody like me who gets told, okay, you have a problem, solve it. And uh, don't worry about, well, does it look nice? Is it maintainable? Because once a problem is solved, it's done. And I think this is a very bad attitude.
1: I am kind of on the same boat with you on this one, though. <laughs> I also, when I have a problem, once it's solved, it's done. Uh, no worries. Uh, we'll just go go
0: on from here. <laughs> See, I, I'm I'm differently. If I have a problem and I, the solution, I want it to look good as well. So I'll spend spend like a couple of minutes formatting everything. So you know, if I come back to it, I'll I'll be pleased.
2: <laughs> uh, same for me, but I think it took me uh, at least half year, year or people to actually start working on the stuff that I delivered. Um, until i really did that before it was nice if code looks clean and is maintainable but it simply wasn't an objective
1: so maybe we're getting to the roots of this uh origin of go ask nico <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: for my first project definitely i think right now it's well it's at least manageable to work with my ideas
1: <sighs> okay uh then uh the next people uh, who are also involved in the project, uh, it's not only the salespeople and us who build the solutions, but are also customers. And I can imagine that customers also do mistakes that eventually can cost a lot of effort, a lot of time, a lot of money. Uh, what would you highlight in, in, this, in this phase for these people? What do they usually do wrong? Or what is their attitude that, are, uh, that is influencing us in a negative way?
2: So first of all, customers, I think, do most mistakes um, in the whole project. But in the end, it's probably our fault Mm -hmm. because for most of them, it's their first project and we're supposed to advise them and make sure that they avoid mistakes. And sometimes, well, it's hard. We can tell them something, they can decide against it. Okay, then there's not, not much we can do in the end. We can force them to go our way, but... They should be aware if we have a different opinion and if we if we think it's a bad idea. Um, so yeah, customers cause a lot of issues, but uh, I think in the end it's our job to avoid them or to fix them. Um, where are those issues? I think it starts actually with which people you involve in the project. Like um, usually you have somebody that was excited um, by seeing Celonis that. Like the idea of process mining, said, okay, I have a problem. And either he has the budget himself to pay for it, or he pushes his boss or his boss's boss to actually come up with the money. But uh, you always need more than that one person. Like More often than not, it's somebody that's rather high up in the ranks, so um, not in the day-to-day work. And he's also not going to be the one using Solonis, but that's rather other people. And uh, one of the worst things um, that can happen is that we don't involve the people that are supposed to get value out of it from the beginning of the project.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, I think I was part of this project <laughs> that you, or at least one of these that where this happened um, that the people who were supposed to be using it weren't even consulted on what they really wanted. So essentially we built this pretty tool and then the The people looked at it and says, "I don't know what this is. What am I supposed to do with this?" <laughs> so yeah, that took a, uh, that took a few weeks to for them to even realize what they were looking at. Yeah,
2: I think in this project, actually, uh, this was not even like bad intent on any side. Like we actually mentioned that we need those people using it, but the perspective of the customer of who those people were and who they were in the end was very different. So if you we're talking about the same one, then they were very IT focused. So they actually knew all the problems um, and were very helpful, in my opinion, in figuring out how can we, well, how can we figure out exactly these problems? How can we quantify them? How could we even improve them in the end? But yeah, the end users weren't really a part of it, um, which at least I wasn't aware back then. So, I didn't even understand that it was an issue. I thought that uh, the people that were in the first workshops were also the ones using Solonis. Um, Well, which is a probably another soft factor that we need to take into account to be very clear and pretty much put everything into writing, not um, to be like a lawyer and back ourselves up, but just mm-hmm. to avoid misunderstandings. Uh,
1: knowing what you know now, Nico, uh, this is, I think at the moment, one of the most crucial parts. And that's basically when we jump off the project or you know go a bit away uh, and give it over to customer. And uh, this is a very delicate scenario or situation because you need to make sure that the customer uh, actually understands what you built for them and that there is at least some adoption over time. Uh, how would you approach it if you, were, if you were in charge of this project from the customer perspective? So let's say you are the project sponsor and you uh, hold the keys from the project and you can uh, basically boss people around a bit, make sure that they uh, they use it. How would you approach it? Uh, what would you do uh, so that the solution eventually uh, serves its
2: purpose? I think the biggest mistake is not in how the handover happens, but when you worry about it. Um, say you have a six-month project, then everybody if you're in a lucky situation of having motivated people that all want to work together everybody's working on that project so you have a specific goal you well you want to implement you want to figure out what kind of value can i get out of it and maybe find the first measures and in the end you have a nice powerpoint or nice document which tells you okay what could you do but that's your end goal and i think um, part of the project should always be to figure out How are we going to do the operational setup? What kind of people are supposed to use Solonis in the future? Are they also... Is it possible for them to use Solonis? Because um, do they have time? They also have other jobs. Need to figure out um, how to fit it into their work life and how can they benefit. And um, then you also need to figure out the structure on how to push people. Like you said, what would I do if I'm the boss of the project? It's very hard to tell because maybe I'm in charge of the project, but um, afterwards there is not even anybody in charge. And uh, I need to force people um, to use salons in any case, unless I have a full time employment um, that's, uh, well, that's taking care of it. Then they have the time, they will take it. But other people, um, I need to assign responsibilities. I need to set them goals. I need to check in every two weeks, every month. How are you coming along? How is this improvement happening? What are your savings? What kind of support do you need? I can't expect uh, people to just, well, magically get a tool, um, try to improve their processes, and then everything goes smoothly. But changing things is always painful, and it's always a fight.
0: Um, if you hearken back to your early days um, a couple of years ago, um With the user adoption strategy, has your mind changed or has the strategy of the company changed on how we increase user adoption at the end of a project? And how is it like now compared to then?
2: I think back then it wasn't even part of the strategy. um, It's also the same if you look at Salonis promotional videos from 2011, 2012, they are just showing you those nice process graphs, um, some charts some deviations, these nice bubbles floating through. Right now, you will hardly see any of that. Uh, They will be more focused on what kind of value did I get out of it? Uh, What did I change? So more impact driven. And I think that's something that hasn't only changed uh, in us, but in everybody. It is uh, also that's something that uh, distinguishes process mining projects from BI projects. So our goal is, Almost never to just build a reporting tool, which mm-hmm. is fine, but actually deliver the information you need to change your company and to improve your processes. So the whole thinking has changed more from an analytical one to an impact driven. Uh so right now we're worrying about it for probably the last two, three years. And uh before it wasn't even a big topic.
0: Um so with this um new um strategy what, what what has the impact been on 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 the customer
2: and for some customers especially smaller ones it's very direct and it's very quick um the example i picked where we took one hour to uh, set up the infrastructure they are also ones where you have the option to sit together with the uh, well head of purchasing his uh three four top operational guys mm-hmm. and um They're very open about it. So you look into a process, you see some issues, like actually we can do it with everybody and we do it with everybody. But uh, then you also directly see, okay, who is responsible for that? I know that person, I know what he's doing. Um, Or they say, okay, I'm a bit surprised by what I'm seeing here. I don't believe it. Then they check and they actually see that there's an issue, but they are invested themselves and they have the power to change. If you're looking at a global company, Maybe some central function is, um, well, is purchasing Zilonas, is pushing through the project. And uh, then to get some local subsidiary to change will take years. So I think there will be impact, but uh, far down the road.
1: Yeah. So it's just for the bigger hegemons in the, in the market just takes way longer to change, obviously.
2: Right. Unless you have somebody with, uh, let's say, a lot of pull that can push changes mm-hmm. through, uh, then it gets better. But even then, it's still a fight. Mm-hmm.
1: Nico, we talked about a lot of things that can go wrong in the project. But uh, would you also think about something that uh, went exceptionally well, uh, even in your own experience, that you were surprised that uh, happened so smoothly and that you are eventually now looking back into into uh, what you've done? and you say, wow, that was a good job, I'm proud of it?
2: Honestly, I'm proud of most things that we do. So (laughs) we have a lot of smaller failures in uh, our projects. But to say that a project failed, I think that happened maybe once or twice over the past five years. Well, not only our fault, but definitely things that we could have done better. But the nice thing is... uh, in the end, people want to work together mostly. So you always have people on the customer side that have a motivation to get something out of a project that have roles. And if you support them, they are most of the time willing to give you, you or other people a second chance. And it might have been easier in a lot of cases to get some success, to get some impact. But uh, I think nearly always you get there in the end because um, It's not that our failures are, well, are caused by people not wanting to do things and um, not working together, but rather by honest mistakes. And, uh, well, if you talk about them, usually you can fix them.
1: So just like any other relationship?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, pretty much.
1: (laughs) All right, Nico, I think this is a very nice rep for the episode. we are very happy that you uh, made some time for us. Uh, we know that you're a busy person and that you came here to talk about what can and at some point always will go wrong in a process mining project. Uh, for, the, for you, for our listeners, thank you for uh, tuning in on another episode of Mining Your Business podcast. We are very excited to have you on the board. And uh, if you have any question, any recommendation, maybe if you want to hear someone from the process mining community in our uh, podcast, just write us an email uh, podcast at gmail.com we are happy to hear any feedback from you whatsoever and uh, as usual we will be looking forward to, uh, to the next episode that will be coming out in two weeks Patrick, Nico thank you very much for, for the nice discussion and I'll uh, talk
0: to you later bye bye yeah, thank you Nico bye thanks Jakub thanks Patrick